everyone, and welcome to our Healthcare Law Podcast for healthcare companies and practitioners. I'm your host, Matt Ulrich, a healthcare attorney at the law firm of Kaplan & Ernest in Boulder, Colorado. This podcast is sponsored by Kaplan & Ernest. Kaplan & Ernest was founded in 1969 on the principles of respect for clients, well-researched legal solutions, a team approach to problem solving, and fair pricing. Today, those principles are alive and well as the firm provides a broad range of legal services and work with educational institutions, healthcare organizations, large corporations, small businesses, and individuals to help them make informed legal decisions and to thrive. This is our inaugural podcast. I must say I'm really excited about this. I've been wanting to do a podcast and talking about it for a long time. My friends and family are probably tired of me talking about it. So we're not going to do this on every show, but I wanted to give you a little bit about my background and and, uh, the flavor of how this podcast is going to work in the future. I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri, and I moved out here uh, to attend the University of Denver Sturm College of Law. I originally got interested in healthcare law while I was interning at the Office for Civil Rights working on HIPAA issues. And after I graduated, I started working at Colorado Medicaid, which was a great experience, and I met a lot of wonderful people. I mainly worked on behavioral health and long-term care issues there. And from there, I then started working at Kaplan & Ernest. On each podcast, I'm going to talk about the different issues that may affect providers and practitioners out there, and hopefully helps to provide um, some practical tips and information that you may be able to use in your everyday careers. So let's move on to our main topic, HIPAA and social media. Uh, But first, I want to welcome my guest, Kristen Edgar. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on our inaugural podcast, and uh, I'm really excited to have you here. Do you want to take a second and introduce yourself? I would love to. Thank you. So I am an attorney with Kaplan & Ernest. I have the pleasure of working with you and all the other great attorneys (laughs) here. Um, I'm a partner here, and I work primarily with our institutional clients. That would be uh, healthcare facilities and also school districts. I don't do the general healthcare work that Matt and our other healthcare attorneys do, but I do advise uh, healthcare entities sometimes on privacy issues, and I'm excited to have a discussion with you about those pitfalls that we see under HIPAA today. Yeah, we've talked about a few uh, interesting HIPAA issues over the years here. We have. I'm always <laughs> glad that we're right down the hall from each other and I can come talk to you about that. Yeah. Well, we'll thank you again for being here. We'll, we'll jump into it then. Um, well, before we start, because okay. I think we may have some folks here who uh, have different levels of knowledge about healthcare, can you tell us what HIPAA stands for? I think we should talk about it. Yeah. So HIPAA stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Generally speaking, um, it applies to covered entities and business associates, which would be healthcare providers, practitioners, and those working with healthcare providers and practitioners, whether that be us, a law firm, or accountants, etc., as business associates. And under HIPAA, you are not allowed to disclose or use someone's personal health information, or PHI, without meeting one of the exceptions under HIPAA and allowed under HIPAA, whether that be treatment payment operations or if it is specifically allowed in a signed authorization from the patient. So that's when you can use PHI. If you don't follow that it and you have an impermissible use or disclosure of someone's personal health information, it's presumed to be a breach 
unless you can show and you do a, a risk assessment that shows that there's a low probability of the information being compromised. And the reason why that is important is because you can have significant fines and penalties, including potential criminal violations. And as we've often talked about, it can also ruin your your business reputation if you um, and you can lose the trust of your clients. So HIPAA is a very important thing, not only because you have sensitive data, but it has financial implications, has business implications um, that um, you really want to make sure that you are protecting um, your patients and their data. Yeah, so I think that's always a good takeaway when I try to talk to my clients about that. They want to comply with HIPAA because if they don't, they'll get in trouble. (laughs) And they can get in trouble monetarily, but also from a practical standpoint. So I also think it's good to acknowledge that as lawyers, we love acronyms. And so throughout this podcast, just so our listeners know, we're going to be using HIPAA, which of Mm -hmm. course is Health Insurance Portability Accountability Act, and PHI, which is protected health information. Mm -hmm. So PHI, HIPAA, and we'll be tossing those back and forth, and now everybody knows what we're talking about. Yeah, probably OCR too, Office for Civil Rights. They're the uh, enforcement entity for HIPAA. Um, And I've always wondered, and some of our listeners may wonder, is there a private right of action under HIPAA if I'm a patient? Can I sue my practitioner if they happen to disclose my PHI? There's not. Actually, no. There's not a private right of action. What you would do in how these investigations are usually started on on providers and their their practices is a, a complaint is made by a patient or an individual um, to the Office for Civil Rights, then they'll contact you and look into the issue and probably ask you a lot of questions and go after and look at a lot of your policies and procedures and, and matters. Often, also what happens is self-reporting, um, which is, is required under HIPAA. If you know or you're a healthcare provider or an organization and you know and you discover that a potential breach occurred, you have... In, in, in fact, it, after you investigate it and you look into it, and if you do determine if it's a breach, then you are obligated to, to contact not only the individuals whose data was lost um, within 60 days, but you're also um, required to uh, notify the Office for Civil Rights. Okay, so we've, we've talked about what HIPAA means, we've talked about what PHI means, and we've talked about the federal agency that'll be investigating you if you don't comply with HIPAA. Um, so I think what I'm interested in talking about today, Matt, uh, as you said, is about common pitfalls that plague our clients, that plague covered entities when we're talking about compliance with HIPAA. Um, and the first one that I think is a good one to talk about are impermissible uses and disclosures of PHI. And for our current crowd, and because I see this come up a lot, one thing I want to ask you is to talk about issues with, with HIPAA disclosures in social media. Can I pose a hypothetical for you? Yeah, go for Great. it. Great. So I have Dr. Smith. And for everyone here, Matt and I are probably going to refer to a few hypotheticals. And to keep things consistent, we'll refer to Dr. Smith, who I'm going to make a woman. So Dr. Smith, and uh, we'll call the other one Patient Jones, if you will. Is that okay, Matt? Yeah. Great. So 
Dr. Smith runs a great practice. She's an internist at a local hospital. And one day, patient Jones comes to her office and tries to visit her. Turns out that he messed up and he didn't know when his appointment was. He gets very angry with the staff, claims they didn't call him back, and stomps out of the office. And rather than make a new appointment or take the issue up with Dr. Smith or her clinic manager, he goes on to our favorite these days, social media, Twitter, Facebook, for this we'll say he goes on to Facebook, and he goes on to a public local community Facebook page and just blasts Dr. Smith in her clinic and talks about what a terrible clinician she is. Now, Dr. Smith lives in the community and she happens to be a member of the page. She sees this and feels like this is a really unfair critique of her practice. Um, is it a violation under HIPAA for her to respond to him on Facebook, even if she isn't talking about the specific things he wanted to see her for? That's a great question. And I think a hypothetical that is more and more prominent and will be happening more and more in the future, whether it's on Facebook, like you said, or Yelp or anything, any sort of company profile page. And I think the answer to that question is yes, potentially that is by responding, you are potentially violating HIPAA. So and explain that to me because to me, PHI would be like, oh, I went to see a doctor for this condition. If she's just writing back and saying, look, I'm sorry, you, we had a scheduling error and we'd like you to come back in and set up an appointment. How is that disclosing PHI? Well, I think it's, it's disclosing PHI in a few, in a few areas. First, you're, you're acknowledging just by simply replying, you're acknowledging that they are indeed a patient of yours and that they have visited your clinic in the past and they'll potentially visit your clinic in the future. And Especially if there's a description of what that clinic is, you're likely potentially telling the individual what they're seeing you for, whether that's, um, it could be a potential, it could be a, an actual diagnosis or it could be anything. And that's just by simply responding to the patient. If you add any more details to your response, um, whether you're arguing with them or you are saying, you know, that's not true, like this is what happened, you're potentially disclosing uh, more PHI that definitely is probably not permissible under HIPAA and, and under any of the exceptions under HIPAA and that the patient definitely probably did not authorize you to say in a public forum that's available for everyone to see. And that's the other thing people need to realize is that the information they provide, you know, and by responding on the, that this is widely available to the public. It's not a secure platform. Um, and even if like the usernames and things are different and it's hard to tell who the person is, in today's day and age, you can, by doing some sleuthing and some internet digging, you can probably figure out a lot about the people that are online and whether that's going to their Facebook profile, linking to that, or going to their Yelp profile or whatever, people are divulging details about themselves, which is fine. People have the right to do what they want with their own personal health information and they can disclose whatever they want to the World Wide Web and everyone on it. But as a practitioner and provider, you're bound, as, and specifically healthcare providers and practitioners and their business associates are bound by HIPAA and not to disclose information that's not permitted by HIPAA or authorized by the patient. And by doing that and responding, you're potentially, you know, violating HIPAA. 
So know. Matt, that's that's a really interesting conversation, I think, and one that particularly physicians and anyone that they employ should be aware of. And I often, when I get these questions, I encourage physicians, A, to, as you pointed out, not respond on social media. Not only is it a violation of HIPAA, but frankly, I encourage them to take the higher road. It's not truly a professional way to respond. Um, in addition, I make sure that my physicians understand that HIPAA applies to all their staff members. And so they need to be proactive in doing training with staff members to help them understand that though they may want to respond to this type of criticism out of a good intent, even an intent to help communicate better with the patient and serve the patient, doing so is in all likelihood going to run afoul of HIPAA. So I think that's a good segue because doctors often ask me, what can I do in that situation to appropriately defend and protect my reputation and to perhaps reach back out to a patient who may need to see a physician and now has had a bad experience? And that's a great follow-up question. And they, there's a few, I think there's a few different things that and practical tips that we would give people and providers and practitioners in that situation. One is, I think, just simply the 24-hour rule. <laughs> like, you know, people always talk about not responding to emails within 24 hours, you know, like waiting 24 hours and before responding to an email that may be upsetting to you. I think that's good advice to take. You need to take a step back. You need to think about it. Don't, which I know is very difficult. You know, yeah. the people are going to complain. You're going to want to go on and defend yourself right away. You just need to take a step back and not do that. So and then, that's a good, I just want to insert here because I think a lot of people sometimes don't want to call lawyers and I have a lot of people ask me, you know, what do you do as a lawyer so that I can avoid calling you? Yeah. And I think one of the top rules in law and in life is don't respond right away right. because that response is going to invariably be an emotional one and is probably going to exacerbate matters. So yeah. great point yeah. and good tip and, for life. Yeah, well, and then there, I think there's some other things we can do too, and we we would recommend to people. And I think I think one of those things is when you're setting up your profile page. The example we gave is a little different because she can't necessarily uh, set up that page. But I think in that situation, I would attempt to reach out to that person separately away from social media, maybe have your staff or your receptionist or assistant try to contact them to try to resolve the issue via phone or something else because you likely have their contact information. But if it, but if you do have a Facebook page for your practice or your company or a Yelp page for your company, whether you're a dentist office or a optometry office or whatever, I would recommend that you set it up in a way that at the top of the page you're giving certain information. You're saying things that um, you know you're essentially saying, and you provide the general information at the top of the page that you know you're going to take all concerns and complaints very seriously. You don't. You as a company do not respond to patients and complaints below because or on this page because you want and you want to protect patient privacy rights and you respect patient privacy rights. And third, I would give information at the top of the page about where to lodge your complaints or your or what you'd like to see different or criticisms or um, problems that you have had and so that people know where to go and maybe it will avoid them even writing that complaint in the first place on your Yelp page. They'll be like, oh, I can go here and 
and provide this information. And so it gives a different outlet for people to provide information to. And I would also say that you'd want to tell people that you take, that you're going to respond, you take all complaints seriously, and that you're going to try to respond and resolve to them, but just not on the social media page. You know, you just need to do it separately and away from that because otherwise you run the risk of, like we said, disclosing PHI to everyone because those pages are public. Sure. So I think what I take from that and what our listeners can take from that is that, one, um, covered entities should proactively develop a complaint process for patients. Two, they should publish that process somewhere in their paperwork. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, it might not be a bad idea for them to list some kind of disclaimer along the lines of, we take your complaints seriously. We appreciate when you bring them to our attention. Unfortunately, we can't respond to complaints that are made through social media channels because we respect your privacy and doing so would not be in compliance with privacy laws. So something along that line uh, in their paperwork might be really helpful and as part of their intake process might be helpful to go over, the, Ex- over that with patients. Exactly. I think you summed that up well. And I think they should also probably work on, um, once they develop all those those processes, training their staff and employees on those things and making so sure that important. everyone's aware of it. And then, so important. And then everyone's on the same page and hopefully you won't have any any issues. Certainly. So that's a great idea. I have one other question. This is kind of sneaky. That's fine. (laughs) Say Dr. Smith has a great friend base in her community, many of which come and see her as a patient. Is it okay for her to send out a blast to all of them and say, hey, it got a really unfortunate review on Facebook. I'm hoping that you guys can go and post positive reviews if you feel like it. So the answer to that question is unfortunately no. Okay. And the reason they can't do that is because in the very hypothetical that we gave, they're including everyone's emails all on the same email. So by that very act, you're telling everyone that may be a patient of yours who everyone else is a patient of yours. So you're kind of divulging, you know, because some email addresses are really vague. You know, it's like... Yahoo, blah, 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 whatever. Um, or like one, two, three, four, five, six, you know. But some people have email addresses that like literally specifically say their name. And so if you're sending out, and we actually, you know, get that question every once in a while as well. So I would not send out a blast email to all your patients or anybody saying um, that you can post positive feedback and that you'd appreciate that. If you want to do that, I would probably recommend that you do that at the appointments themselves or say like, you know, and maybe not, and I also wouldn't bring up the negative feedback. I would just say potentially like, hey, if you want to post or provide any feedback, feel free. You know, our pages are, are here, you know. And then and then it's up to the patients themselves to do it. And if they want to disclose the PHI themselves, that's up to them. But you're not ask, forcing them to do it. You're not asking them to do it. And you're not divulging, you know, others um, in doing it. So I'd probably do that um, separately offline is, I think, a practical tip Great point. Um, for that. And so this is a good time to remind our listeners, these HIPAA situations and scenarios that we're describing are complicated, and the legal analysis and the recommendation that you would get from your lawyer might change based on any distinction in facts. And so notwithstanding that we're talking about these things as a general matter, it's good for everyone to be aware that the potential to violate HIPAA in social media situations um, is very high. 
and therefore if you have a situation where you've gotten a poor review, you're trying to figure out ways to respond to it, you should really call your counsel and figure out if you can do that in a manner that's compliant with HIPAA. Definitely. Great. Well, that's our show. Thank you to everyone for listening. For more information, visit us at CELaw.com. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or comments, please feel free to send those along. You can find both myself and the firm at CELaw.com, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. Thanks so much. I want to personally thank Kathleen Martin and Damian Ribba for allowing us to use their amazing music at the beginning and ending of this podcast. You can find out more information about them on Free Music Archive on Facebook, and we'll make sure to provide their information in the show notes. What do you think of that? Uh, do you want me to do who I am again? <laughs> All right. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Okay. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and is not for the purpose of providing legal advice or legal opinions on specific facts or circumstances. This podcast does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with the listener, and the listener should not act upon the information discussed in this podcast without seeking professional advice. This podcast is not intended to be an advertising or solicitation of legal services. Because this podcast is recorded on a specific date, the information discussed may become outdated by the time the listener has downloaded or listened to it. Lastly, the listener should be aware that laws and regulations are constantly changing and are often different in each state.